0: Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach. Have you ever wondered how well suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the home page of my website sumatisparks.com. And I'll spell that: S is in Sam, U, M is in Mary, A, T is in Tom, I, Sparks as in sparks are flying. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm really happy to welcome back to the show two men who have each been on the show separately, and now they're collaborating together on a project. So I'm, ha- I'm having them back tonight, Philippe Lewis and Blake Celiar. Philippe is a relationship educator. He works with men and women to support them in making better choices for themselves so they can become fully sovereign human beings through the practice of connection, trust, intimacy, love, and consent. And Philippe is also the happy father of a seven-year-old boy who teaches him how to surrender to love a little bit more each day. And Blake Ziliar is an ally, advocate, and educator for folks in the open relationship queer and personal growth worlds. He draws on training in radical honesty, landmark NLP, sex education, and the art of fearless intimacy. He works with individuals, couples, and so to engineer the types of healthy relationships they most want. Welcome to the show, Philippe and Blake.
1: Good to be here, Simone Thank, Thank you.
0: So glad to have you. So let's dive a little bit deeper into each of your practices of polyamory and open relationship. Um, We talked about it before on the show, but since you are stepping into a collaboration, creating a course and offering for our community, um, let's dive a little deeper and um, start by, Blake, tell me what are some of the most profound lessons you've learned from being in your own polyamorous and open relationships?
1: Uh, Thanks again for having us on the show, Sumati. Uh, It's great to be here. Uh, You know, to address that question, I would have to start, I think, at the deepest level and say that the most profound thing that I've learned is that just about everything I know or everything I believe about relationships, love, sex, attachment, all of it was, in fact, learned at some time in my life. Um, I noticed uh, as soon as I started practicing polyamory that the stresses and challenges presented by this lifestyle were shining a really bright light on all of the areas of myself and how I relate to relationships that I was unaware of. And it began a very deep exploration into asking myself, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I want what I want? Are these choices that I actually made or are these notions about what a relationship should be that were handed down to me? So I think the most profound thing that I've learned is that everything can be learned and everything can be unlearned if, if it doesn't resonate with our deepest values. We can challenge those things mm. and toss them out where they don't fit.
0: Mm, that's beautiful. Can you give us an example, a specific example of something that you had to unlearn and kind of relearn?
1: Certainly. Um, one thing that I had to unlearn was the idea that uh, love is a zero sum game. Uh, I think we were all kind of raised in a culture where we have been taught to believe that if someone is getting Uh, some of your partner's love, then that means you're going to get less of it, as if there's only so much love to go around. That's what zero sum means. And it's kind of a scarcity mentality uh, for looking at at love in relationships. And what I came to understand is that love is, in fact, abundant, um, that it's all around us. Everywhere that we look to create it, we can find it. And the idea that there is a shortage of love just didn't actually resonate with what I was seeing in the world and feeling in my heart, and yet there it was, standing out as a belief that I used to hold. Um, so I was able to challenge that belief and replace it with a better one for me.
0: Mm, that's a great example. Thank you so much. And Philippe, how about you? What have been some of the deepest lessons you've learned from being poly? Huh. I think uh,
2: um, I, I, used to, I used to hold that um that I could be everything and uh, everything and anything for, um, for all the people I want to love. And what I've come to realize, um, and, and that also came with parenting, is that, is that even though love doesn't have any limits, there are actual limits to the amount of attention and the amount of time and the, and the amount of displaying of love that we, can, uh, that we can do with each person. And so, mm-hmm. so in a sense... Yes, we, you know, I can have 10 lovers, but there's a limit to how much time I can, get, I can give to each of them. And it would be the same thing with kids. And so, so I've come to realize that it's, and it, that it's important to, um, to have good boundaries and it's important to have a, a good sense of what, what kind of relationships do I want to create with each of these people and, um, and, how much, um, and how much attention and how much importance I want to give to each of them because that's going to... Allow me to create something deeper and something to, uh, uh, something deeper and something uh, more uh, more rich, and so I've got this sense of like I have a dance card, and at some point my dance card is full, and if I try to fill it with more, all my relationships will suffer to some degree.
0: Right, that's a good point. So love is not a zero-sum game, but time is. <laughs> That's right. And so how did your practice of open relationship change when you had a child? Because I could imagine that took up a lot more of your time than you That's right. had experienced before having a child.
2: Well, um, you know, what's interesting is when I started having a child, and actually even before that, I would tell people that, uh, that, that having, having children and, uh, and having multiple lovers, it's not that different. There's a, a lot of the same skills that come along with, and I think we, we talked about this when I, when I did our previous call with my wife, Padgett, is that, um, uh, is that a lot of the skills that you have to develop when you have kids are similar, skills are similar to what, what you want to develop when you have multiple lovers or multiple people that you care about at a very deep and intimate level. Uh, you, have to, you have to manage your time, you have to manage your schedule, you have to manage attention, you have to manage expectations. Um, it, it, and it's actually harder with kids because they come up to, they come in the world in some ways it's harder because they come in the world and they don't have any sense of boundaries you know they want more and if you give them more they'll take more um, and then <laughs> at some point they start at some point they start to realize oh I can go off into my off uh, to my own uh, off on my own and do my own thing and that's that when that's when things change um, versus having adults that you're engaging with. And with these adults, you can have conversations around boundaries, around scheduling, around attention, around what what is it that they want that they're not getting. And with kids, they don't necessarily know that until much later. Uh, but they similar skills, and these skills are, are important to develop in order to gracefully engage with multiple people at once. And it's kind of like trying to be on the dance floor and trying to dance with multiple people around the dance floor while they're dancing with other people and keep track of them and these skills, are, um, these skills can make a big difference around how successful uh, someone is um, in their engagement um, as an open or poly person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And I'm just going to get right into it because this is making me think about, you know, I've been thinking a lot about privilege and race and income levels and how that intersects with polyamory and how it's really kind of a privileged lifestyle because it does take more time If you're working all the time and you're really stressed out trying to pay the bills every month, you can barely have a healthy relationship with one person, let alone have the energy and time for more. So have you found that in your life there's been times that you've had more financial freedom, which has allowed you to have more relationships, versus other times when you've had to pull back because you simply don't have time to nurture the other relationships? Either one of you, if you want to share about that.
1: Go for it, Philippe.
0: Um, I, you know, the first
2: thing that came to mind is people have been cheating since the dawn of times, regardless of <laughs> right. how poor they are. <laughs> and so, so, if you look at cheating as a as a sort of the the the, the non consensual version of polyamory, well, it's been happening. So, so I, I think that uh, the the privilege that uh, that people with uh, with solid income have is that, of course, they don't have to worry about making extra money. And so so making money doesn't take as, as much time. Um, but, of course, somebody could be really driven and, you know, and they might be traveling all over the world. They might have lovers all over the world. Um, so it's not clear to me that privilege really plays a clear role. But at the same time, um, and I'm bringing back to parenting again, I, I feel like having a child really does uh, call for a lot more attention. And it's made me... Um, be a lot more careful about where I spend my time outside of family and outside of my primary relationship. So now I only have one lover. Uh, so I give my attention to her, to my wife Padgett, and to my son Phoenix. And that feels like, in between that and career, it feels like my dance card is full. And I see people who are mm-hmm. single, more mm-hmm. poly single, as they call it, and they seem to have a, a, you know a rotating palette of lovers. Uh, and I can't imagine doing that. Uh, it just feels like too much and it feels like I wouldn't have a chance to
1: really dig deep with anyone. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Thank you. And so Blake, are you willing to
0: share? Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, One of the things that came from mind to me listening to that question was a lot of the people of privilege that I know, at least the ones practicing polyamory, they have exceedingly full schedules and (laughs) calendars that are kind of, you know, overwhelmed with, uh, with all kinds of social and professional engagements. Um, I think where the the privilege card kind of shows up is, you know, if you were looking at, you know, like a hierarchy of needs, like Maslow style, that someone who's struggling to make ends meet month to month probably doesn't have a lot of emotional bandwidth to ponder, you know, Hey, what would happen if I had another partner? Would I be able to get this maybe less important higher need met Um, higher as in higher up the pyramid of, of the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it kind of all depends on what, what your stress is in life. If your stress is, you know, I'm living check check to check and worried about my next meal, then having a second partner probably isn't that important. You know, if, if that part's pretty well covered and your needs are a little bit more about self-expression and self-actualization and maybe getting a a particular kink met or having someone to go do particular activities with that you're Um, your main partner is not so into, you know, then polyamory presents itself as an avenue of exploration.
0: Right. And also the time to take all the personal growth workshops that we take to learn the communication skills (laughs) and um, the emotional healing that needs to be done to show up in the way that we show up. So I'm just feeling gratitude for all the resources we've had. Yeah. So let 's move on to um, talking about some of the the keys to making great, happy, joyous, open poly relationships work. Um, Blake, would you like to talk I think are some of the most important points to making relationships happy and passionate and joyful?
1: Mm, I'd be happy to uh, I think the the most fundamental building blocks are communication and honesty and if I can expand on each of those a little bit, communication is not just talking and processing and you know laying out resentments and things like that. There are skills to communication like how do we communicate from a place of authenticity that is owning our own experience rather than making someone else responsible for our experience? The you know quick and easy example of that is using I statements instead of you statements um, and that is you know one of several different communication techniques that will very much Um, help the the practice of open relationships. From the radical honesty discipline that I've worked with, there is um, practices of expressing most of your internal experience where it is relevant to another person. So that could be um, expressed as being transparent with just about everything that matters to you and not really holding back any feelings or wants that are real and alive for you. And I think a lot of people in relationship kind of, you know, they they pick and choose what they're going to tell their partners a bit um, and and maybe, you know, won't bring something up until it's really important or really relevant to the situation at hand. Um, And so that style of communication, you know, is a nice segue into the other kind of key pillar that I was talking about, which is honesty um, and transparency as well. Like, you know, one of the things that I learned a while back is that, the more information I give my partners about my internal experience in a timely way, um, the more time they have to ask questions and adjust to what occurs as a new reality. So, an example of that is, you know, if I meet somebody that I'm attracted to and I think they're really interesting and I'd like to see them again, I'm going to be better off telling my partner, "Hey, I met someone really interesting today," <clears throat> than I will be if I wait, you know, weeks down the road to. Tell them that there's someone new I'm excited about, <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it, then it comes a bit out of left field instead of kind of just a proactive process of giving your partner a window into your internal experience. Um, and so that's that's how communication and honesty have evolved for me is really getting in a, a proactive habit of noticing what's going on for me and finding a way to articulate it to my partner. That's um, Available to them, and and can generate some curiosity between us.
0: Let me just dig a little deeper there. So when people are new to polyamory, and let's take that example you just gave. So you tell your partner, I met someone new, and I'm you know I'm curious about exploring something with them. I don't know where it's going. It's there's just a little flicker there, and I just want to let you know mm-hmm. right off the bat before it gets really serious, um, mm-hmm. and. Then if your partner has some kind of a reaction to it, like they feel jealous or scared or angry, blaming you, whatever, they have some kind of a trigger or reaction to it, what is the, the secret or the key to – so you've shown up and you've communicated responsibly, you've communicated in the way that your relationship made an agreement around how you're going to communicate, assuming that, that your partner wants you to tell them when you first meet someone – And then your partner still reacts. So, Mm -hmm. how people who, some people tend to be really codependent, so they're afraid to tell their partner about it because they're afraid of their reaction. Do you know what I mean? So, how do you dance with that?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, (laughs) dancing with codependency might be slow dancing in a burning room, if you're asking me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But that being said, Um, it's, you know, it's a practice, like moving from a type of relationship texture that is somewhat emotionally dependent to one that is more secure is um, a process of learning what insecure and secure look like and identifying within yourself where you're responding from a place of anxiousness or avoidance and, um, being able to name that without being afraid of what it means about you. I mean, that's that's kind of a big statement right there, but that is really the, the type of growth that is available to people who really challenge themselves to grow in relationship. And that doesn't have to happen inside of a poly or open relationship. That could happen in a monogamous relationship too. Um, but I think the path of becoming happy and secure in open relationships necessarily includes that kind of investigation. You know, what are my emotional dependencies and how do they play out? Um, to address the example that you were going with originally, if you come to your partner and say, hey, I met someone interesting, and they have a strong reaction to that, the best thing you can really do is remain upright and listen and hold space for them to have their reaction. And don't let that reaction necessarily overcome you. Like you don't have to take it on as your problem. It's really a set of feelings and reactions that your partner's having. And you can get curious about that too. You know, what's coming up for you now? What does this remind you of? Is this, you know, reminiscent of a time in the past when you felt insecure or when you got hurt? And I think that that kind of investigation and curiosity is how couples, partners, can move from a place of reacting to a place of learning about each other. Uh, and I know Philippe actually could say a great deal more about.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely want Philippe to talk about. I know he. Yeah. yeah. He's investigated that a lot, but I just want to nail that down just for a second because what you just said, it sounds so simple and it's what most relationship coaches and therapists would say, but how few people really do that, that that really can, Mm -hmm. if your partner reacts to something you said, to hold your space and not also react and just say, from a curious place, like, oh, what does that bring up in you? So you're not taking it on that you've done anything wrong. That is such a mm-hmm. skill right there, and I just want to name that, that it's very challenging to do and we can all move in that direction. So I just wanted to nail that down because it's an important tip that we sometimes gloss over because it's obvious as a teacher, you know.
1: <laughs> totally. And, and for folks who, um, you know, check out the course that Philippe and I are offering, you know, this is a particular practice and skill set that we're going to dive into quite a bit. You know, how do we evolve the conversation from one of reacting to one another to getting curious about each other's experiences?
0: Beautiful. Cool. So, yeah, I know if you have anything that you want to respond um, around what Blake said, Philippe, or if you just want to share what you think are the most important points to making a poly relationship work, take it away. All right.
2: Um, uh, I think there's probably going to be some similarities, And, um, and uh, actually, the first thing that I wrote uh, that I wrote was uh, emotional stability and security. And I think that refers to what uh, we were just about you, uh, Blake was just talking about around, um, around being able to engage with your partner without reacting, or without, without reacting too much. And so um, it takes a certain amount of stability in order to be able to engage around the top, the kind of topics. Uh, that open relationship will bring, um, and these uh, these topics will will have everything to do with attachment with attention we, with amount of love, even though love is infinite when people speak of love, they often speak of it as as a limited quantity and so to to, to shift that into there 's as much love as we need uh, and there 's as much time as we need and there 's as much uh, there's as much of everything that you need in, that that you can get from this relationship or it's possible to get it from somewhere else. Uh, it does take some emotional stability, and then when that stability is compromised, to have the to have the presence of heart and mind and body to go uh, to have it to uh, be able to self care to do self care, and so to be able to resource yourself when you feel like your resources are low, whether it's emotional or physical um, or uh, or even. Uh, uh, or even intellectual. It could be that like you've are you been at work all day and you just don't have any any more space and your partner comes along and says, oh, I met somebody new. I'm really hot for them. And that is the last thing that you want. And so that, to me, dovetails into the second piece, which I think uh, Blake touches a, touched a little bit around, around communication. For me, I go into the specifics. So it's about um, being skilled and developing the skills of speaking, your feelings, of course. Um, feeling, uh, speaking about your pace, so that the other person knows if you feel rushed in whatever it is that's going on, um, either with them, with somebody else, or with you, with them as as things progress and um, the open, and things become more and more open. For instance, um, and then be able to speak desires. Like, what do you want? What do you want for this relationship? How do you want it to be open? What is the what is the sort of pie in the sky? idea of what's what would be great uh, because uh, and, I, and that's the first question I ask each of my clients is uh, or my or any couple ask each of them like what's your motivation for being open and um and i and I suggest that each person needs to have a a selfish reason to want to be in an open relationship or a poly relationship It, it can't be oh I want to be open for my partner it has to there has to be a selfish reason because without that selfish yeah. reason. It might just happen that that the whole thing might fall apart if you're pissed at your partner or if you're having a difficulty um, finding an agreement. And so having your own Mm -hmm. sense of why you want to do this is important. Beyond that, knowing what your needs are, which is often it feels like you have desires that are really needs. If they're not met, It will eventually eat at you, or it will eventually break you down. And so, those are needs. These are things that are non-negotiable that need to happen at a a certain level or to a certain degree. And without these needs being met, we revert to uh, lesser sort of lesser beings. Uh, Like in the the hierarchy of needs, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If when we don't have the the, the, our lowest needs met, uh, our lower needs met, we we revert back to that level uh, in order to get that met. Um, and then the last piece is, uh, is boundaries, being able to speak your boundaries, speaking, which relates to needs as well, because we, the, re, the real reason why you have a boundary is so that a need, uh, a need for a particular level of safety uh, needs to be met. So that to be able to speak about this and engage with it in a, in a calm and rational way uh, is very important uh, because it also supports the emotional stability that I mentioned. Um, and then, uh, and then being able to make agreements, so to have the languaging to make agreements with your partner around what would help, what would be better, what would uh, what would make sense, what would be purposeful, what would uh, what would meet my needs, or uh, and what would meet my pace or my desires or my boundaries. And then the last piece. Uh, is to have a basic understanding of human nature to be able to look at your partner and mm. and, and, and think, Oh yeah, part for the course you know I know that partner well enough now that whatever they 're doing is not out of sorts it 's perfectly appropriate and normal, whatever it is that, uh, either a reaction or the words they use or the ways that they navigate to be able to recognize that for them but also as as regular human condition or, or behavior so that it doesn't sound like there's – it doesn't look like there's something wrong and there's no need to fix it. To be able mm-hmm. to have that allows for a greater level of peace and less reactiveness in the engagement. To be able to say, okay, par for the course, I knew this was coming, and I don't have to freak out about it. I know it's going to unfold, and I know we'll come back together uh, is really crucial to keeping greater emotional stability. Um and also being able to uh, to better understand where your partner is
0: coming from. Pretty
1: point. Yeah, please. I remember
0: Paget talking about that when I interviewed the two of you about the more, the longer the relationship went on, the more she knew that you were always going to come back, and that consistency and that trust starts mm-hmm. to build with right. consistent behavior. Um, mm-hmm. But Philippe, I also wanted to ask you. You use the terms boundaries and agreements. And sometimes I Mm -hmm. see people, especially when they're new to poly, go really overboard with like 10 pages of agreements and every little nuance about (laughs) curfew time to exactly what they can do with other people. Um, So where do you fall with that? Do you feel like people should start with a lot more agreements and then lessen them as they go? Or where do you stand with the whole subject of agreements?
2: Oh, yeah, well, when Pasha and I got started, we, we didn't really know what we were doing. So, so, we, kept, so I, we kept, well, usually I kept asking her questions. Well, what about this? And are you okay with that? And, and just considering these questions, what's triggering for her. There was, I
0: mean, mm-hmm. she really
2: wanted to do this, but considering the questions, uh, she just wanted to put boundaries everywhere uh, and, and, so that she would feel safer or, or, or we tried some boundaries, and then lo and behold, non-egregiously, I would find the loophole. Uh, and I would think everything's perfectly okay, and I would come back and share with her what happened, and she would say, no, that is not what I meant. And so, so what, we, uh, what we ended up doing is we ended up creating this thing called the boundary cards. And the boundary cards allow each person as part of a couple or a triad or a larger group to basically delineate what they feel is best, uh, what they feel best about when it comes to their partner playing with others. So people can, can lay out uh, different actions, different action cards under a sort of yes, no, maybe, uh, the, the yes, maybe, no column, and then they can add context and so to actually move the cards from either the maybe to the yes or the no to the maybe to the yes. And this, this mm. allows for each person to really be able to, to witness uh, their partner in action asking themselves these questions instead of the partner asking. Well, is it okay if I get a blowjob? Is it okay if I kiss? Is it okay if I if I, if I flirt? Instead, the partner just gets to have this conversation with themselves. Like, why would I would I be okay with this? Or what would make it okay? If if it were if if I was to make it okay, what would make it okay? Would knowing the other person, knowing the lover make it okay? Would liking the lover make it okay? Would a safe, safe, set, safe set conversation make it okay? And so with that game, we, we, that game allows people to really have that exploration with themselves with much less trigger. And, and this supports really what's necessary. Instead of creating boundaries about what if that would just be that, uh, from, from sort of pie in the sky perspective, uh it, it really nails it down to what's most important partner gets to see oh this is what's important for this person what's important is is, is uh, safety around diseases what's important is uh the communication what's important is a a, a feel a sense of knowing what's going on and um and all of these things kind of reveal um reveal what are the needs from for for this part for the for the other partner. What are their needs? And mm-hmm. how can these needs be best met? So usually people, uh, couples will only play the game once, and then they have a sense of what's going on for the other person and where the line is more precisely. Um, and also they understand the, the, uh, the spirit of the boundaries rather than having to follow the letter of the boundaries.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. Yeah, because I see I often people will – have fights over the boundary violation as a, as a smokescreen for what the, to avoid the feelings that are going on from Uh the boundary violation. Um, But before we continue on, I just want to say for people who are just joining us, you are listening to leading edge love radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at SumatiSparks.com. And we're speaking with Philippe Lewis, the relationship educator and Blake Zeliar, i um, also an educator for folks in open relationships, and uh, they are talking about um, the fabulous things about polyamory, how to make polyamorous relationships work, and uh, Philippe was just talking about boundary cards. Um, if you have any questions for Blake or Philippe, feel free to call in. The guest call-in number is 657-383-1132. You won't interrupt us. You'll just be put on hold, and we'll grab the call when when there's an opening. Um, but I want to ask you before I go back to Blake Philippe. Do you still sell those boundary cards? Are they on your website?
2: I do. I do. If you go on the uh, on my website, uh, Exquisite www.exquisite.love, and I think there's a there one of the one of the uh, menus is a uh, store, and if you go in there, that's the only item.
0: Oh, fabulous! Okay, great. Okay, so let's take it back to Blake now, and um, why do you think – I've heard many people try – they say to me like, oh, I tried polyamory. I'm never going near that again. (laughs) Why do you think people turn away from it after their early attempts?
1: (laughs) Uh, Good question. Um, I think the short answer is fear and insecurity. I think that a lot of people who attempt this lifestyle um, find that it is confronting in that they feel that they have to look at their fears and insecurities quite a bit, or they're doing some of what Philippe was talking about a moment ago, they are trying to protect themselves against those fears and insecurities coming up by creating a very tight sandbox hemmed in by boundaries and agreements so that those feelings are not evoked. Um, And when you brought up this conversation about boundaries and agreements, I was kind of jumping up and down over here because this is a topic that I was hoping to get into the last time I was on your show. Um, But I see this quite frequently with people who are new to opening their relationship. They they start from kind of a a traditional monogamy model, and they pry the door open ever so slightly – like, okay, you can do this one specific thing and, and we're going we're gonna to try that and, and we'll call ourselves open. And you know there will be, as you, as you put it, Sumati, maybe a, a 10-page contract of agreements like don't do this, don't do that, definitely do this. If you call me a minute late, I'm going to freak out. And mm-hmm. those, that type of structure, it, it seems logical, it seems straightforward that the antidote to feeling fear or feeling insecurity is more control. That's a pretty straightforward bit of logic. But what I have found is that the more rules you have in place around what individuals can do with their agency and their freedom and their individuality, you're kind of just creating a a space surrounded by tripwires. And over time, what's worked better for me is to have fewer and fewer and fewer agreements such that my partner and I are essentially left to our own devices to make our own choices. And if feelings come up about around something that my partner wants to do or something that my partner did do, it's on me to take responsibility for those feelings. If I am feeling fear because my partner is connecting with someone new, then that doesn't make what they're doing wrong. And it doesn't mean I have to control it or put, you know, put a stop to it. It just means that what they're doing is evoking a fear. So what's worked better for me over time is to use those moments um, where a little you know alarm is going off as an opening to learn more about yourself. You know, why do I feel this fear? Why am I insecure in this particular way? Is it my partner's actions? Is it their partner's actions? Or is this just some old piece of programming that's getting bumped up bumped up against? Um, and in my view, it's usually the latter. More often than not, people act with best interest at heart. And I think, you know, by way of like, kind of some simple teachings like the four agreements, if we assume that just about everybody, particularly your partners, you know, people people who love you, are acting with their best intentions and your best interest at heart. Then it's kind of hard to believe that they are deliberately trying to stoke your fear or stoke your insecurity. But a lot of poly people don't operate that way. Um, they are uh, they operate on more of like a a permission protocol where they're only going to feel safe letting their partner do something outside the relationship as long as they're the ones granting permission for that to happen. And again, that, that idea makes sense, but I think it's fraught with, with trouble in um, it. Cause it also creates a power dynamic where one person's agency is in the hands of another's.
0: Mm-hmm. Right uh, now. So Philippe, I just was speaking with a woman today who is about 40 years old and she's starting a new relationship and they're going to be open and, she was borrowing a jealousy book from me, and she was saying that she almost gave up on polyamory because uh, so many men, she dates men, um, so many men came to her when they were just trying it out, and she didn't feel like they could show up with presence with her, um, and she felt kind of cynical about it, but she's giving it another try. So I told her, you know, that the key is to slow down and be very deliberate to make sure that the people you're going into relationship with have the skills that you need and can show up for you before you dive into NRE and then six months later realize that this person's a flake. So what kind of advice would you give somebody like that who's been hurt in the past from flaky poly people? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it was great. It's great because the, 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 the thing you said about slowing down was the first thing I was going to say. Um, but before that, I think, it's, uh, I think it's important if you get together with someone and you, and you want to have an open relationship, that, um, that, that you don't jump in head first. I'm a big, big proponent, not just of slowing down, but of baby steps. Because here's the thing with baby steps. You, you, you do one tiny little baby step, everything works great. Ah, you feel much better. You feel like, wow, I did something and it worked out. And then the next time you do another little baby step, and. And then you look at each other and you're like, wow, we, could, we nailed that one. That feels good. And in doing the baby steps, you build trust. And I think people forget that, that to do this kind of complex, emotional, physical, sexual dance requires practice. And, I, and what I tell people is you can't do something fast that you haven't learned to do slowly. Mm. You can, you can try. You might get lucky. You, everything might be fine. But then the next time you do it, you realize, oh, no, I haven't, I haven't really learned how to move with this person emotionally, sexually, physically. That, that I know what's coming when, uh, when something un, unexpected appears. When things are expected, uh, you, uh, you, you can handle it. But when things are unexpected is where the true test of your skills and your abilities and your qualities actually come up. And, and, and mm-hmm. it's in going slowly with someone first and really having all the conversations and doing all the things that, uh, that where, where you basically keep checking with each other that you get to learn when, when something goes, goes wrong, you get to say, hey, something is going wrong, but we're not, we didn't make such a big step that we're going to hurt each other in a big way. Oh, okay, now mm-hmm. we can just take a step back and re- and reassess so I'd say first of all, don't jump head first go go out and and do simple things like flirting, like expressing to each other feel uh, uh, people you're attracted to and in fact that's that's going to be part of the course where there there's going to be a section where people will will learn what these steps are going to be for them in some way, um, and they're going to be able to tell each other okay well you know what what do you think we should do next and what do you think we should do next too many couples jump in head first and they say okay well now you can sleep with your people i can sleep with my people and then they basically get in over their head and the and the whole thing breaks down and they and they say well, i'm never going to do that again i am not interested in this kind of circus where it's a free for all well Mm-hmm. You've never learned to dance tango by jumping in into a dance hall and going at the speed that they're all going. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to learn uh, you have to learn slowly. If you're doing it alone, well, that makes it even harder. And to, so, so to have a community of people to do it with, to have teachers, to have people to talk to, to have teachers to coach you, is all the ways that you're going to make this a lot more successful. And, and and that's mm-hmm. what we're creating with our class, in fact. Um, and uh, actually, Blake, do you want to add anything
1: to that? Oh, I was just sitting over here nodding my head. You're speaking the gospel, Philippe. Like, it, there is definitely, like, you have to learn to crawl before you learn to walk, before you learn to run. And I, I think that it's difficult for yep. people to know where to start. It's It's difficult for people who don't have a lot of practice at this to even judge for themselves, well, what's a small step and what's a big step? Uh, you know, when That's I right. first got into poly, when I first got into polyamory, my ex-partner and I just kind of dove into the deep end head first and took on, you know, full-blown second relationships. After, I mean, all we had really done prior to that was like kiss a couple of other people and then go home and giggle about it, you know. And then next <laughs> thing we knew, we had, you know, we had doubled the number of relationships in our lives, and and it was messy, uh, and you know, we didn't have the tools to handle that depth of open relationship and frankly we didn't have the tools to handle a much shallower exploration of it Um, so I agree entirely with what you're saying that um, you know and and to to kind of dovetail it with what I was saying before like using controls to limit your partner's actions is not going to be as effective as having some agreement with your partner that baby steps are healthy Um, and I think it's definitely important for people to be able to ask for help and be able to bring their difficulties someplace. And this is a lot of what motivated Philippe and I to create this course is that a lot of poly people don't really have anyone to talk to about it. You know, they might try to go open up to some of their existing best friends who are mostly monogamous and say like, you know, I'm really stressed out. My partner's dating this other girl and, and it's giving me a lot of anxiety and their mono friend might just say, well, that's because he's dating someone else. I mean, that's unnatural. You should just tell him to break up with her. It would solve all your problems. You know, I mean, and that's, that kind of lack of support doesn't really help poly people grow um, because like everywhere they look, they're being kind of told that what they're doing is ridiculous. Um, you know, and so we want to, we want to bring this culture, this lifestyle, this, way of seeing love and relationships out of the closet a little bit further and normalize it a little bit, create a space where people can come and struggle and break down and, you know, have people who are more experienced there to hold them in their, in their upsets, which will inevitably occur. Uh, You know, even as, even as people matriculate through the course that we're going to build, I anticipate that they will, do the assignments that we give them, have some challenging conversations with their partners and come back and be like, okay, we opened up a whole can of worms here. And, you know, Philippe and I will probably smile and go, all right, great, let's unpack it. Um, but that's kind of the point of, of getting some support and getting some education about all this is it can lead you to really exploring what it is you want to say yes to.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so I think, I have kind of two questions here that kind of can be rolled into one. Um, This feels like so much work and a lot of people might hear this and go, why, why are you going to all this trouble? So so do you (laughs) see polyamory as kind of a spiritual path or like, why should people bend themselves into a pretzel to make this work? And also my other question that kind of rolls into this is, have you seen breakdowns between partners turn into beautiful connecting moments? Like on the, when they get to the other side of it, do they get to a deeper place?
1: Mm. Yeah. Great questions. Uh, mind if I go first on this one? Yep. Go ahead. Great. Um, so I heard you say like, why would you wind yourself into a pretzel trying to figure out how to make this work? For me, it was really more a matter of unwinding myself from the pretzel that I was born into. And and, and this is kind of what I mean when I say that uh, I think of polyamory as a spiritual path is that so many of us were conditioned to believe all the things that we believe about relationships. And for a lot of people, that set of norms doesn't feel natural. It feels like you are confining yourself or bending yourself or contorting yourself into some shape that you're expected to be in so that you can you know, remain in a viable relationship. And that was certainly the feeling I was having prior to opening up was like, Hey, you know, I have all these, these desires and these all these people that I'm connecting with. And it feels weird to just artificially limit them to a platonic space when that isn't the energy between us. Um, And so if we define spirituality as, um, you know, being in touch with that, which moves through you, you know, what was moving through me was a genuine feeling that love is abundant and that um, humans are basically put here to connect with one another and that such beautiful openings and learnings and transformations can occur by way of connection that to arbitrarily put limits on yourself and, and indeed on your partner's ability to connect with people is, is unnatural. And so what was moving through me was, um, I guess you could say, a, a calling toward a more aligned way of being. And so the work of getting happy and secure in my open relationships has been one of aligning my beliefs and my values with that, which I feel moving through me from deep within. And so that's, that's really been my motivator and and the thing that has driven me to, you know, take on the big challenges. Um, And then to, you know, drive that into your second question when breakdowns can turn into breakthroughs, I think is one of the most beautiful things that can happen in any relationship. Um, and with enough practice, you know, using an example that we, we had at the beginning of the show, if your partner comes to you and says, Hey, I met this interesting new person and, you know, a little bit of chemistry is there. You could, you know, th- your partner might respond to that with a really strong reaction. One of, you know, anger or fear or mistrust and, you can use that as an opening. You can use that as an opportunity to, to figure out like, okay, my love, what's coming up for you here? What is this reminding you of? What is this evoking for you? And if you're patient and you have gone through some of the practices of, you know, remaining, <laughs> remaining vertical and, and keeping yourself from collapsing into your partner's experience, then you can unpack a lot of deeply held feelings, values, experiences that might not have gotten talked about um, if we're just reacting to each other. And so what was at once a breakdown suddenly becomes an opportunity to learn a great deal more about yourself and about your partner. And most, in my experience, I've come away from those conversations and seen some of my clients come away from those conversations like, wow, I had no idea how much was at stake here for you. I had no idea how much your past was connected with the present i had no idea that you valued this or that we've never talked about it before um and so breakdowns in many ways a lot more
0: empathy for each other yeah 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 cool well very well said like thank you i want to give philippe a chance to talk about like Mm -hmm. why go through all this philippe and what do you get from all this work
2: Well, I mean, you, could, you, you, could, you, you might as well ask people, why do you travel around the world? Or why do you work so hard at this company? Or why, I mean, why the effort? Right? So for me, uh, the, and, and, and I've, seen, I've seen this reflected in other people, is that some people are just never-ending, they, they have a never-ending thirst for the exploration of humans and love. They just mm. love it they just they love mm-hmm. engaging with other humans at multiple levels, not just chit chatting at the coffee shop, but they they either they love sex or they love the emo- they love exploring emotional connection, they love exploring consent, they love exploring um, remote corners of themselves and each other in um, and, and doing this as safely as possible uh, i mean why why do people like BDSM? in for some people it looks just like a bunch of people hitting each other but, but if you talk to these people they say that they say that these experiences guide them to places they, ne- they never even talk where possible places of surrender and places of, of ecstasy and places of discovery. For me, I, I've often heard that that one person can't meet all of your needs and I think that's part of the reason why people do poly a lot do an open relationship. they feel like this one person is not Able to meet all their needs, so they go out and they go find other people to meet those needs, and then you have sort of a, a sort of a web of people meeting all of your needs together. But I have another perspective on top of that. I believe that with, in the same way that with each uh, with each dancer I engage with, I engage with I, a new version of a dancer arises in me to meet them. I think the same is true for as a lover. When I meet somebody new a new version of the lover arises to meet their, them as a lover or as, a, or as any role that arises. And this new role teaches me something about me. There's, there's more of me to go, about, to go around after I engage with this new person. Because my partner, as amazing, as, as awesome as they are, they bring out a particular version of me, but not all versions. And so, and the same is true with friends. But I think I think there's something really special about the intimacy of open relationships. Is that is that is that because the intimacy is deeper in some ways, because there's sexuality, because there's there's uh, emotional uh, emotional fe- there's, there's deeper emotional feelings that arise. That there's a, there's a greater richness of of a uh, personhood that emerges out of us in meeting this new person. Mm-hmm. So that makes it all worthwhile to me.
0: Yeah. And then how do you see breakdowns in relationships creating more bonding and more growth on the other side? The
2: way I see it is every feeling, in in the same way that, that whenever you feel something in your body, it's because your body needs something. Like if you feel hungry, right, that's because you need food. If you feel uncomfortable, it's because you need to move or you need to exercise or you need to sleep. I think the same is true of feelings, and when you engage with people uh, where deep feelings arise, it reveals deep needs, and in revealing those deep needs, you're able to discover about yourself the needs that maybe were not popping up quite as much with this particular partner or another. And so you get to discover parts parts of you that have needs that haven't been met yet, so you can begin to do better care for yourself around those needs. And become a, a more um, a more fulfilled and uh, an express individual
0: mm-hmm. Beautiful. so Thank you. so the
2: breakdown will, the breakdown will reveal the needs, and then the needs will reveal will reveal uh, what needs to change, and in changing that, you become a, a greater individual as a result. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Cool, and then Blake, if you want to talk about the course that you guys are creating and maybe touch on some of the practices that you'll teach people um, about how to move through conflicts in the process. Um, We've got about um, eight, seven or eight minutes to go, so I want each of you to have a chance to talk about the program. So go ahead, Blake.
1: Great. Thank you so much. So the the course can be found at openlove.teachable.com. And the course we've created is is called Open Love. It's a practical and spiritual guide to becoming happy and secure in open relationships. Um, And that would include polyamory, non-monogamy, whatever kind of terms you want to use for your style. We're using open as a catch-all term. It's going to be a 14-week journey starting the week after Thanksgiving and ending the last week of February and we're going to have weekly calls, like live conference calls, um, on the video conferencing platform Zoom every Wednesday night from 8 to 9.30, which is going to consist of a minimal amount of, like, lecture-type didactic teaching from Philippe and I. And I think the bulk of the calls will be devoted to question and answer and interactive discussion. Um, And each week, we will be um, discussing what was uh, coming up in the previous week's reading. So the structure of the course is going to be guided by the book More Than Two, which is, uh, in my view, the, the best work we have on this subject, and a very thorough uh, exploration of what makes non-monogamy, polyamory, open relationships work. Um, so we're going to you know, read through the book, and then two or three chapters each week. We'll get together on the call the following Wednesday, discuss what was coming up for people, and there will be... Um, writing and conversation assignments to go along with the book um, some of which are already included in the text some of which Philippe and I are going to make up and add to the text um, as you might have guessed Philippe and I both have many of our own ideas about how to do this well um, that are that are not necessarily covered in the book I think it's a really wonderful practical exploration of of polyamory um, and it'll you know provide practices like how to discuss boundaries, rules, and agreements, and what are the differences between them? So that that might take the the practice there, might take the form of a conversation with your partner about what we mean by these different words, and, you know, trying to separate uh, for yourselves, like, what's a personal boundary and what's an agreement between us, Um, you know, and and then Philippe's boundary card game might be a practice that goes along with that. Um, Yeah, I think that that... Is a pretty good summary for right now, Philippe. Do you want to add something to that? No,
2: nope, that's pretty clear. Well, uh, okay. Yes, I do. Um, I think uh, w- what I was mentioning earlier is, is what we find is the, is the is the best learning environment includes a few uh, a few important elements. Uh, so first of all, it includes, uh, includes the includes a community to have a group of people uh, to to learn with is really crucial uh, because it allows for conversation with a group of with a group of uh, uh, with a group of peers, uh, where you get to you get to say, okay, well, we're all looking at this same topic. What, what do you think? What are, are what are aspects that you've got figured out that I haven't? And there's there, there, there's out of that there's support and there's share there's support and there's wisdom that arises. Um, there's also in the course as part of the course, there's also coaching. Uh, there's the possibility of either of us uh, coaching, or potentially some of our guest teachers uh, will also be available for that. Um, and also, um, I think it's important that uh, uh, that people really uh, really feel supported in their efforts, so that when things break down, they don't feel like they're alone. So that's that's again a part of the community, and mm-hmm. also a place to practice, a, a place to say, a place to say, well, I've tried this, and this is what happened, and 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 I don't know how to feel, or I don't know what to do. And so I think uh, bringing community, a peer group. Uh, one-on-one coaching, and also like the class in general. So where where people get to come more regularly together uh, is going to create a uh, is going to create a certain momentum and movement. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean it's going to be rushing people forward, but it's going to provide that sense of movement. So that instead of thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe we're going to open when all the stars align and in the, and the moon is blue and all that good stuff. <laughs> You know they'll they'll have a good enough reason to say let's let's try it let's see what comes up and yeah. let's see what happens and we're not and and if we break down it's not going to kill us because there's going to be all these people all these teachers and this 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 path that we're going to co- that we're going to go down mm-hmm. on and so it looks like a, it's a journey and yeah. real uh, we're quick, inviting I'd like all to, of you to join us
1: yeah yeah real quick I'd like to add to that that we uh, we very much want to encourage folks to sign up with their significant others um, rather than just learning about this solo. So um, we have a hundred dollar discount available to everybody who signs up with a friend or partner or partners. We're not going to discriminate how you label those people. Um, If you bring multiple folks to the table, we will happily give everyone uh, a discount to sign up Um, and you can inquire about discounts um, by contacting me through the course page, which once again is, Um, openlove.teachable.com.
0: Fabulous.
2: I just want to add that we we, we don't just want you to sign up with friends just so that there's more people. We want you to sign up with friends because to have somebody who's already part of your life. I mean, this is an online course, so you could be anywhere Mm -hmm. in the world. So to have people that are close to you in your life to talk to about these things is going to make a massive difference. Now of course you can talk to people on Facebook or Snapchat or whatever you whatever you want, but just somebody who's there with you to feel you and for you to feel them makes a massive difference. And so that's why we want people to be to be on the Zoom call together in the same room as we're as we're teaching this course.
0: Awesome. Well I'm really glad you guys have put this together. I think it's really needed and it will really up level all of our skills in our community. And it's so important for us all to be practicing this in community because we don't have the support of the larger default culture for this lifestyle. So the more community we can build, the better. So thank you for this offering to our community. And I hope everyone will sign up for that. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, the openlove.teachable.com website. I'll put that in the notes. And I really want to thank both of you for being on the show again. Um, Best of luck to you.
1: Thank you, Sumati. It's been great to be here.
0: Thank you, Sumati. Okay, bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Tom Schnetledge. Last name is a little difficult to pronounce. But Tom is an expert at Poly for Seniors. And just think about how that makes you feel and the internalized shame and judgment we have about the elderly being sexual and being polyamorous and having thriving relationships and let's bust through that paradigm and allow the senior people in our life so that when we become seniors there'll be a trailblaze for us to continue to have beautiful open relationships our whole life so come on and join us next week at 6 p.m pacific time on leading edge love radio we'll talk to you then good night everyone